0: Hey, everyone.
1: Hey, y'all.
0: What's going on?
1: Welcome back to another episode of Petty Politics.
0: It is Cam.
1: And Brie.
0: And welcome back. Fourth episode.
1: Yo, this is getting consistent. It's quick. It's quick, right? <laughs> this is getting real.
0: Really excited. We're really happy for all of the feedback we've been getting and all of the people that have been downloading the episodes, too.
1: Mm-hmm. We have about 240, actually over 240 downloads right now. So I'm very excited.
0: Right. So thank you so much for listening and supporting us. Please tell your friends, tell your family. Also, find us on tell iTunes. Your neighbors, right. your
1: kids, your wife. Oh,
0: you wanted to bring photo <laughs> back, didn't you?
1: You already know. Okay.
0: Please follow us on iTunes. We're also now on Google Play and the Stitcher Network. Those are the top three podcast distributors, so you should be able to find us anywhere. Whether you have an iPhone or an old Android, or... which is
1: okay. We love you and your Android. No, do. maybe a
0: flip phone. I'm sure you can find us there somewhere. I don't know. If you got
1: a flip phone, I don't love you. And don't follow me on Instagram because
0: uh, <laughs> how dare you! I don't
1: want to see your photos. Last no, I'm privilege. Just okay, I'm sorry. I'm uh... sorry. <laughs>
0: It's all good. It's all good. Like us, rate us, and comment. Make sure that you tell your friends and make sure that they know about all the dope stuff that we're doing here.
1: Okay, so what's up? What are we doing today, Cam?
0: So we're going to start with the life and the law segment. We're going to talk a little bit about black representation in case law. So what does it mean to be a black person in a course listening to cases? Are these people black Are the topics about black people? How do we conceptualize these issues from a black lens?
1: Conceptualize and contextualize. That's very important. Or are we even contextualizing these black issues? No. (laughs) I didn't say it.
0: What's in the political?
1: So today we're talking about the Iran nuclear deal. Of course, there's some drama about that. Right. We're also talking about Harvey Weinstein. Lots of more drama about that. We're
0: going to be talking about sexual Uh assault. Yeah.
1: A very touchy subject, especially in today's political climate. We're also talking about Jamel Hill being suspended from ESPN.
0: Then also in the petty, we're going to be talking about a bunch of different things. We're going to be talking about infighting within the Trump administration. People are morons. People want to take IQ (laughs) tests. People want to take
1: IQ tests.
0: (laughs) We're going to talk about this random Trump and Pence political stunt at the mm-hmm. Indiana Colts versus San Francisco 49ers football game, Foolish. what does that mean? Foolish. We're gonna get into Eminem.
1: Eminem, I love you. The well real Slim out. shady. <laughs> While
0: well and now we're gonna give him, the Show anytime. <laughs> we're gonna give him his participation award. He for, does get for his, pr- his participation cipher.
1: award. He does.
0: And then we're gonna talk about this Dove ad.
1: This dev ad, we I have know, some feelings, very controversial, you know? very controversial. Some
0: questions, some feelings. And you if you know? haven't
1: seen it, then right now is the time to pause our podcast and pause it. Don't let us be talking while you're over there just not listening. Just pause it and go, go watch listen. it.
0: Should we <laughs> go watch? Should we get rid of our dub product? Should I get rid of mine? Should I be throwing it away? Should you throw yours away? Let's find out.
1: Have you thrown away your Shea Moisture? If that's the case.
0: Also important.
1: It's important equally. Let's go.
0: Let's get started. All right, let's get started with the Life in the Law segment. We're going to be talking about black representation in case law. In law school, our general framework for a course involves what is called the case method, which means you sit down, you read a bunch of cases for each class on a certain topic, say self-defense or you know criminal defense. And in that class, you read each of the cases and have conversations about them. Mm-hmm.
1: In these conversations, this type of method is meant to presume that each of these two cases can be dissected objectively. Right. So we have this, I guess, this ideology of objectivity, which is meaning that anybody can go into a case and you can determine whether or not someone is guilty or not based upon the facts alone and, whether, and completely removed from your background, your opinion— and such. So there's objectivity versus subjectivity.
0: Oftentimes when we talk about cases, we aren't talking about, you know, a a John Doe that is, you know, five foot ten, a black man comes from a low income background. All of those types of details and identity characteristics are completely removed from the case law if they aren't directly relevant.
1: Yes, that's the presumption of objectivity. However, Cam and I want to know if you can be objective in the law when it comes to being African-American. For example, the discussions of Trayvon Martin and Stand Your Ground, et cetera. Can you talk about those things absent race?
0: I actually want to know if you talked about it in your criminal law class. I know I did, but in our class, it was probably a blip.
1: Really? Well, I'm interested in hearing more about that. Also, to answer your question, no, we didn't even discuss Trayvon Martin in our class when we did discuss the Stand Your Ground law. Wow. Yeah, we didn't even bring it up.
0: And see, when we brought it up, it was an excerpt that had been pulled from outside of our textbook because it had been so recent. We sat down, we talked about it for maybe 30 minutes or so out of a two-hour long class. Really? We didn't really get into the details of what are the racial components of this? How does racism implicate this type of of, of of law in terms of who can stand their ground, who exactly. is okay to be able to shoot in self-defense, exactly. and what are the framings of that?
1: Because I think that around the time of Trayvon Martin, there was a, another woman, a black woman, who also pledged to stand your ground law.
0: Yes, yeah. you're right. It wasn't even that she shot her husband, she fired a warning shot in the oh, home. Oh yeah,
1: oh yeah. And that was enough okay, for, okay, okay. for yeah. a prosecutor
0: to say you were endangering your child that was in the house as well. Mm-hmm. We'll forget the fact that you are a black woman and that you're dealing with domestic violence Mm -hmm. or just a woman in general exactly all of these types of factors are really pulled from the text when I read the case on Trayvon Martin it felt so very removed from the feelings that I had in Mm -hmm. that moment watching the Trayvon Martin case Mm -hmm. going to die in protest when you read it in the case it's very much you know defendant is blah 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 Mm -hmm. the victim is blah 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 you don't really think about all the stuff that was happening in that moment and you see it really from a almost like a rear view mirror Mm -hmm. in a way that really makes you feel uncomfortable and disembodied when talking about the law.
1: Yeah, so I don't think that it's possible to strip the law of these identity characteristics, which is why we're having an issue now with these law schools not necessarily contextualizing race courses or even introducing courses like critical race theory. Harvard did have a critical race theory course, which is now a reading group.
0: Right. And critical race theory was actually created here at Harvard Law School. Now, this is a framework of law that really tries to embed race directly into the case law. So whereas most cases will try to take away issues of race or gender or class, critical race theory finds these things to be integral. And so it'll actually bring those factors back into the conversation Mm -hmm. to make sure that we have as much context as possible and that we can really engage with the true social, political, racial dynamics of these cases in real time.
1: I mean, but this is not saying that no course here at HLS or in any other law school actually practices this. I mean, Mm -hmm. have you taken any courses that you think specifically did a good job on contextualizing and conceptualizing race?
0: I have been able to really select courses that have gone into those issues. I've, it takes a lot of effort to be mm-hmm. able to find those courses. One that we took together actually last year, oh, Poverty yeah. Law, oh God, was it. a great class <laughs> in that it did yeah. allow us to talk I mean, directly. Poverty Law
1: did talk about that. We talked about the behavioral, accessible, and systematic lenses in which people are refused access to redistributive policies. We mm-hmm. talked about how the rhetoric of welfare shifted when black people were given access to welfare. So, for example, during the time the AFDC was introduced, it was mostly white individuals, and it was used to help the families. The breadwinner was able to go out and work, a.k.a. the man, so this is the heteronormative family nucleus, whereas the woman was able to stay home and receive these monies. And so when black women started accessing this welfare distribution plan, individuals became... I guess, hostile towards black women. And then the rhetoric shifted and it became, oh, these are welfare queens. That's the new narrative. These women are taking advantage of the government. These women are lazy. They're depending on the government to raise their children. And it's incentivizing single motherhood primarily in the black community. And so this narrative really destroyed the black community. And it was interesting to see how poverty law did highlight specifically the race interaction with the government.
0: And it was great that we were able to contextualize this specifically for black women because mm-hmm. the welfare queen trope, which was something that was brought up during the Reagan administration to really undercut welfare benefits and the social mm-hmm. safety net in general, was False. It was a. I mean,
1: it was it was totally false. And right. the worst part was it really happened when the civil rights movement gave black individuals access to welfare. So there was no problem with the welfare movement prior to then, even during the women's rights movement. You know, welfare was still a go. It really happened during the time where I guess race was mostly scrutinized Mm -hmm. under the government in the United States and so now we're seeing the effects of this and now we see that in law we cannot not talk about it when talking about the shifts in the government dynamics the shift in legislation the shift in policy
0: and I think also when we have tropes like the welfare queen When we strip all of the subjectivity out of a case, say you look at a poverty law case about a welfare recipient Mm -hmm. trying to get access to benefits, Mm -hmm. these types of narratives make us think, all right, this is a welfare recipient. We, in our minds, imagine them as black, as single mother, Mm -hmm. as dependent, as quote unquote lazy. All of these things kind of fill in that gap, whereas all of these actual contextual details are removed.
1: So I guess I can think of an example that we didn't talk about race that it might have applied. I think that during 1L, we did have that case about welfare. Do you remember the question was whether welfare was an entitlement or an earned Mm. benefit? So
0: that's a really core case to civil procedure jurisprudence, Goldberg v. Kelly.
1: Mm -hmm. It ruled that you cannot take away an individual's welfare without due process.
0: Again, it's a case that you read that is completely stripped of the subject. You know, you're Mm -hmm. listening to a plaintiff give a case about a defendant, but you really don't learn too much about who the person is, who has been harmed, who has done the harming, and actually how all of this plays into a larger structure. Mm -hmm. But going
1: back to Goldberg, I think that it's really most important to note that this court decision actually decided that such entitlements like welfare payments and government pensions and professional licenses were a form of property, meaning that you could not remove them because an individual was entitled to them. And it kind of almost went against the rhetoric that the welfare was just kind of given to individuals and it was a more undeserving money. You understand? I was actually in the hair salon the other day. Of course, all the best conversations happen Mm. (laughs) in the hair salon. No, But I was in the hair salon the other day and an individual said, well, you know, I don't really understand welfare anyways because I think that these people should just get up and work. And it's these types of misconceptions that disincentivize not only people from participating, but people from agreeing with welfare. And the issue with that is, you know, the welfare that we have today, it actually does require people to work. It's the personal responsibility act. And it requires you not only to work a certain amount of hours, but you're restricted from having welfare for a certain amount of time. And so I think that it's very important to keep these things in mind when discussing these type of legislation.
0: So Bree, have you taken any classes that have helped you to understand race in a contextual way in the law?
1: Yeah, I'm taking a race and politics class right now with Stephanie Robinson. It's actually great because we're not only talking about but confronting controversial and systemic practices and ideologies within the system that are entrenched in the system. So we talk about immigration, race, ethnicities and such, and we even discuss unpopular opinion. She makes it very comfortable for us to not only freely talk but debate these issues. Yeah. And so I love this course. We watch documentaries. We discuss them. It's, It's very interesting, and I'm so happy. Been taking
0: this uh, I really wanted to get into it. I did was on the wait, the wait list. I <laughs> did not.
1: I signed up for a road when it opened. So. Uh,
0: I should have known better.
1: Yeah. All right, so it's time to get into the political, my second favorite part, other than the petty. You already uh, know. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about the Iran deal. Let's start.
0: All right, so the Iran nuclear deal has been something. That wasn't really hot in the news until Donald Trump got angry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's give you a breakdown. I, mean,
1: I feel like so it was one of his prominent campaign issues where he was saying that he was going to dismantle this.
0: It was one of them. I feel like it was probably one of the lesser ones though, behind healthcare, tax reform, um, and some of those major issues. But you're absolutely right that the deal was in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. So let's give a little bit more of the detail about what the Iran nuclear deal was. This is about a two-year-old deal. It was created in 2015 under the Obama administration. And it was a multilateral agreement across multiple different countries, the United States, Iran, France, Germany, all of these power hitters in the international sphere. The goal of this program was to stop Iran from developing their nuclear weapons program. Mm Programs, And so in a set of different negotiations, the U.S., parts of the EU, and Iran made different concessions that truly created a really nice compromise. So basically what was going to happen is that Iran was going to halt its production of nuclear weapons and Mm -hmm. all of its nuclear testing, meaning that it wasn't going to be able to enrich uranium, which made it... You know, weaponized. It was going to reduce its stockpile of enriched uranium. It was also going to remove some of its facilities for processing different forms of nuclear materials and also allow inspections of its nuclear facilities by international actors. Now, in exchange for that, the U.S., parts of the EU, these power hitters, were going to slowly lift sanctions that they had on Iran and on countries that dealt with Iran, meaning that the U.S. was going to Ultimately, make Iran's economic prospects a lot better in exchange for doing this. I
1: mean, have you guys actually watched a video or heard footage on why it's allegedly not working? Because it honestly doesn't make sense, but we'll get into that more later. This deal is great, honestly. It's a clear incentive for Iran to follow. Clear consequences are listed if they don't follow economic sanctions, not just by the United States, but by the other individuals who are party to this deal. So it's very incentivizing. The deal has full international backing, and it's just a leeway for more integration into the global economy. For the United States, we're engaging heavily with our international community, which is great at such a time where we're kind of looking a little bit weak on the global scale. It's also an opportunity for the U.S. to move in a new direction with Iran. Again, we're not necessarily the most amicable with Iran. And so this deal actually is working to not only prevent Iran from creating nuclear weapons but also to kind of allow more relations internationally. Without this deal, what are we going to do? I feel like there's no other diplomatic resolution. I mean, there's no lasting constraints on Iran's nuclear program. So, I mean, even look at North Korea, they're they're mm-hmm. going to start building nuclear weapons and everyone's going to it's going to be basically a race to nuclear arms, you know. Also, I think that without this deal, Iran is going to just continue to not only create these weapons, but provoke them. And then individuals that we know, certain groups in Iran are going to have access to this type of weaponry, which we don't need to happen.
0: So even with all of those good ideas, there's still people saying that this is a bad deal. And they have a A lot of different reasons ranging in legitimacy. People in the Trump administration, people that are conservative, even some people on the left are saying the deal is too narrow. It means that Iran will stop its production of nuclear weapons, but that doesn't mean that they can't amass and weaponize other forms of technology to be able to use in aggressive actions against international actors. Trump has said that this deal is hard to keep in check and to monitor because it assumes a level of trust between all of the different actors, including Iran. Also, there's kind of this idea that the U.S. is going to reframe the agreement as the agreement itself is fine, but Iran is still doing other things outside of the agreement that make them Mm -hmm. act in bad faith, meaning that the U.S. should pull out of the agreement. And Trump has generally thought that this deal was one sided from the very beginning. Even in his U.N. General Assembly speech, he talked about how the U.S. cannot abide by the agreement if it provides cover for Iran to eventually construct a nuclear program.
1: I listened to his speech at the U.N. General Assembly and I just didn't agree because although he said that the U.S. cannot abide by the agreement and that this agreement is an embarrassment to the United States, he did not list why we did not elucidate at all what is the big issue with this agreement and why it's so weak if we look at it nuclear weapons are not being produced and that is our greatest goal so iran has not materially breached this contract
0: at this point at this point
1: exactly and so our goals have been satisfied yet we're still upset what does renegotiating mean in the united states foreign policy when we pull out of our negotiation agreements. How do you think that we're looking on a global scale right now, Cam? So we're
0: looking really bad on the international stage because of some of the actions that Trump has already taken with regards to deals and arrangements and agreements Mm -hmm. that have already been established before he got here during the Obama administration and well into the past. We have the Iran nuclear deal that we're talking about now. Also, the Paris climate deal was another issue that Trump has tried to frustrate, an Mm -hmm. agreement that, again, had multilateral negotiation and support. Trump being at the UN Assembly and having such hyperbolic and incendiary language mm-hmm. that made other international actors feel really uncomfortable mm-hmm. and untrustworthy of the United States under the Trump administration yeah, I think
1: I think the Iranian foreign minister said it best when he said the u.s. is proving itself to be unreliable in international agreements mm-hmm. so basically if the world cannot rely on the words of the United States as a negotiation partner then no one's going to want to negotiate with us I think that even extending to what's going on in North Korea to what's going on in Turkey to what's going on Mexico and and a lot of our different um, individuals who may or may not have been allies. I mean, right now Turkey is even a, even an ally, but we're fighting with them right now about visas and whatnot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, <laughs> we're not fighting about visas, but visas is definitely being restricted because of this fighting and stuff. Such, I think that it just shows that we are becoming, honestly, maybe hostile. We're becoming. We're looking very hostile on an international stage.
0: And I think Trump is feeling the pressure on this. There's actually new reporting saying that Trump isn't going to fully back out of the deal. Currently, the issue is on recertification, which itself is kind of a phrase about giving a vote of good confidence to the Iran nuclear deal itself. That's
1: another issue that's pretty problematic. During his campaign trial, Trump said over and over, I'm going to stop this deal. I'm going to dismantle this deal. And then... Two times so far, two times he has recertified this deal. He has went and he has said that they are upholding their in, therefore we can continue the lift on economic sanctions. And so he has not really taken such an issue on that. And now that he's talking about it, I think that it looks like it's going against what he's saying because you already said you were going to dismantle it. So now why are you saying that you're going to oh, possibly recertify it other than to send it back to Congress?
0: I think that it shows that his advisors and that Congress is actually hopefully stepping up and clarifying that this actually is an important deal to maintain. Mm-hmm. One thing in particular that is being reported is that rather than recertifying the Iran nuclear deal, Trump is going to kind of keep it in limbo. He's not going to remove any of the parts of the bargain that the U.S. was supposed to uphold, but he's going to send it to Congress and kind of force them to fight over this to figure out what is the best course of action, which is generally what Trump does, right? He'll put some type of frustration, some type of, you know, confusion into the mix to make people feel uncertain, and then send it to Congress to make them clarify and really clean up his mess. And so at this point, we're kind of just waiting for him to figure out what he wants to do and all the while all of these international actors are confused in limbo trying to figure out how they are supposed to act in response.
1: Proponents say I guess that this is actually what is supposed to happen though and I can understand that I can actually almost agree with how Individuals think that Congress are supposed to step up. People are saying, oh, you know, Congress are finally doing their job. They're finally writing the legislation and such, which is understandable. However, I think that it shows a weakening of the executive branch when the executive branch isn't necessarily pointing them in a direction or even making suggestions that Congress should do things. He's just saying, "Okay, this is not working. Blah you know sending it back and right. we saw him do this with DACA we saw him do this with healthcare. we saw him do this with the pairs of them just like pulling out and now on an international landscape it's weakening our power as the iron giant I would say which is obviously problematic
0: All right, let's talk a little bit about Harvey Weinstein. I do want to give a oh quick uh, kind of warning and content warning for folks that might be um, affected by conversations about um, sexual assault, sexual misconduct. So Harvey Weinstein is a big time Hollywood producer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's news saying that he is the second most thanked person at you know, the Oscars besides God. He owns the Weinstein Company along with his brother. This is a major production company that has put out many of your favorite movies, television productions as well. Yeah,
1: Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill, just to name some of the few big ones. Right,
0: right. And so this week news came out that Harvey Weinstein is now embroiled in a really large scandal involving sexual assault on multiple people over multiple decades Going back all the way to the nineteen nineties. Mm-hmm. So we have this report coming out uh, from Ronan Farrow and The New Yorker that discusses exactly what is going on. It details multiple different instances from different women in the industry, some well known like Angelina Jolie mm-hmm. and Gwyneth Paltrow, Gwyneth Paltrow yeah. and then other people who may not be as well known talking Possibly about
1: because of their because of retaliation. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, talking about these instances in which Harvey Weinstein made them feel really uncomfortable, where he was making sexual advances, making conversations uh, turn toward the more sexual, um, you know, frame, and also inviting women to his room um, when they really did not want to. There's actually a recording that details this in really, you know, uncomfortable, frustrating, yeah. you know, degree, where you hear um, this woman. Multiple times saying, no, I do not want to go to your room. You have already inappropriately touched me and that made me uncomfortable. And Harvey Weinstein the entire time is saying, come up to my room. It'll only be five minutes. I know I did that, but I'm used to this. Ugh. All of these really, it really helps you to understand the mind of a predator, the mind of many men in the society, honestly, that Manpower, are, yeah. that are okay with sexual assault that don't understand why it's a problem. And really, right now, it's bringing sexual assault back to the forefront. It's reframing this issue in terms of the rich and powerful, and also in in terms of Hollywood, mm-hmm. because so many people have now come out of the woodwork to say, "I was, you know, per- like personally victimized by Harvey Weinstein in one way or another." That's something that Angelina Jolie had said. Other people that are well-known, Glenn Close, George Clooney, all talking about how they'd heard rumors about Harvey Weinstein being inappropriate. I mean,
1: I don't think it's just about this. This is something, it, Hollywood, I think that there was a joke at the Oscars about an individual being preyed upon by yeah, this man. Yeah, it was Seth yeah. MacFarlane.
0: I remember oh, seeing it. To get
1: movie roles. Exactly. It was
0: something like, you know, now that you are, are all nominated yeah, and you've you made it. you pretend don't pretend
1: that you're attracted to him anymore. Right, right. I don't think these women were ever pretending. A lot of the testimonies I read explicitly said that These women were rejecting this man's advances and he was continuously pressing himself upon them. And, you know, most troubling to me with this scandal is that I think that these employees of his working at his company, these executives, they were complicit in this behavior. Yeah. And I think that because. I feel like a lot of the women had the same story. One of his assistants told them, hey, meet him at his room. He wants to go over some, insert here, biggest dr- project of your dreams. Right. He wants to go over that with you. And then later on, they would leave the woman there. So it was kind of, I guess, a way to make the woman more comfortable in his presence. And after they removed themselves from the situation, he would then turn to his sexual advances, asking right. for massages, showing people his genitals. It was disgusting. I know. Yeah, and I think that if these individuals are complicit in this behavior, why aren't we looking more closely at them? Because I even heard the some mm. individuals were coming out from his company anonymously saying that, oh, we feel bad. There's non-disclosure cal- clauses in our contracts and such. However, if you know individuals, and these are young women, and these mostly women, not mostly, but a lot of these women are from foreign countries and such, being preyed upon by such authoritative figure in their lives, how are we? How are we not complicit if we don't speak out?
0: And I think like, the reframing of this is always a, a similar one: is that we have some man that's in power, usually wealthy, white, mm-hmm, right? Usually wealthy. Uh, usually has a lot of connections, mm-hmm. and they're using that influence to try to to sexually manipulate. And assault people. I, and I think there's actually him. a report that came out from uh, Cara Delavine. She recounts a moment where she met with Harvey Weinstein in a hotel lobby and he asked her to, you know, retire to his bedroom. She said, no, thanks. I'll wait for my car here. She went outside to find out where her car was. The assistant said, oh, the car won't be here for a while. You should go to Harvey Weinstein's hotel room. And so she talks about how she went there and there was another woman that was there. Harvey Weinstein had already asked her questions about whether or not, um, you know, her her sexuality was in flux, whether or not she was attracted to women. Mm -hmm. And so when she made it to his room, Harvey Weinstein said, you know, I have this other woman here. I'd like you to kiss her. And was trying to create a sexual advance in that way. And Kara talks about how uncomfortable she felt, how she you know, tried to change the subject and turn it more into an audition to make it feel like there was a legitimate reason for her to be in his hotel room. And, and ultimately, she, she was able to escape that situation and she received a role in one of Harvey Weinstein's films that apparently just came out a couple months ago. And she said, you know, I was I was worried about, you know, making a family be embarrassed or, you know, ruining his life. And this is always something that we hear from women is that they care enough to protect this person who gives no care about their lives or their humanity or their sanctity, which shows just how tricky it is to navigate these issues in the public eye.
1: I totally agree. I think that especially at a time where women are so easily and so unregulatedly objectified and exploited in the media and in these types of spaces I think that it's easy to overlook how often this is happening and it was so common that no one was saying anything this guy was just getting away with this type of behavior for years and now women yeah yeah, decades and women are coming forward 20 plus years later finally able to comfortably exert their power without feeling as though no one's going to believe them and everyone's going to Go against them, and their careers are going to be ruined. They're basically going to be blacklisted by Harvey.
0: I think the dominoes are definitely falling. With regards to sexual assault in Hollywood, Ben Affleck is probably one of the next hilarious figures in this in that he started out, you know, condemning Harvey Weinstein, using a very common trope that men use saying, I have a daughter and I can't imagine how my daughter would be affected by this as if only having a daughter has helped them to realize that sexual assault is is an issue.
1: Exactly. And
0: immediately after putting out this statement condemning Harvey Weinstein... People came out saying, actually, Ben Affleck, you too. <laughs> actually, you were too. Are the problem. You have <laughs> you been caught <laughs> groping Hillary Burton back in, in the early 2000s um, on TRL. Mm-hmm. And the film is still out there. After the fact, Ben Affleck put out a, a one sentence tweet, you know, saying I, I sincerely apologize for my actions. Right. Very different from the condemnation he was giving to Harvey Weinstein, because he probably wouldn't reframe it to himself
1: for sure I mean this is the story and the case with a lot of these men of power out here this is the same issue that happened with Trump of I feel like Trump would also say oh this is not okay but look at what you're telling reporters about women this is the same issue that may or may not happen I say that because of a hung jury with Bill Cosby mm-hmm. you know a lot of these figures in power are exerting their power money and influence over these young women they're getting away with these dis- deplorable behaviors and it's almost taboo for these women to even mention it
0: and oftentimes that is why they don't come to the forefront and sometimes they're even if they do come to the forefront they are silenced mm-hmm. so rose mcgowan for example was just recently suspended from twitter for calling out ben affleck and his complicity with the weinstein um, assault she put out a tweet saying you know you knew about this just like so many other people knew from what we've heard through the news this was an open secret within Hollywood about what Harvey Weinstein did to to women. And ultimately, you know, Rose McGowan having received a $100,000 settlement from Harvey Weinstein back in 1997 for an incident at Sundance Film Festival shows you just how pervasive these issues are in the mainstream. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: There's also the news that other men have come to the forefront talking about their incidences of sexual assault in Hollywood. We had Terry Crews come out talking about at an event with his wife, a Hollywood executive groped him, grabbed his, his Ew, genitals. Wow,
1: I didn't even hear about that. That's gross.
0: And and also, James Vanderbeek came out um, earlier today. James Vanderbeek from Dawson's Creek talked about how when he was young, he was also cornered by a Hollywood executive and put into a sexual situation that he was trying to avoid and to get out of. So it's clear that sexual assault is an issue that primarily targets women because of issues of power and and misogyny and sexism but that also men are involved and are victims as well as mm-hmm. perpetrators of these types of acts so i think I, i'm happy that that men are coming to the forefront but i don't want this to be something where men are taking a voice and a in a centering away from women because it, what i've seen after terry cruz put out his statement is that you know now terry cruz is the one that is you know reframing this issue of sexual assault when He isn't the one that is the the primary victim of these types of acts, right? It's important that we make sure that women have the stage and have the the ability to talk about these issues because so often it is women that are the victims and the survivors of sexual abuse and sexual assault within relationships, outside of relationships, in professional settings, more so than many men have to deal with it.
1: For sure, I think that we can't restrict this type of behavior to gender binaries, but also we don't want it to be the face of Hollywood. Oh, it happens to everyone in Hollywood as opposed to women because, again, we're removing the conversation from where it actually needs to be. All
0: right, we're going to get into Jamel Hill, hashtag protect Jamel Hill, who has been suspended from ESPN for two weeks following a string of tweets that she put out regarding the NFL and the recent protests where NFL players were kneeling during the national anthem.
1: Which we discussed more in depth last episode. If you haven't listened, go listen.
0: (laughs) So what's been happening with Jamel Hill? She's received a lot of national attention after a string of tweets a couple of weeks ago, condemning the NFL for their complicity in some of these issues that, you know, Players have been protesting, starting all the way back with Colin Kaepernick. We already talked about this. I'm sure you know about it. So recently, Jamel Hill put out another set of tweets. In those tweets, she discussed ways in which people can really target the NFL if they want to begin a process of getting their attention. Jamel Hill said that, you know, whereas a lot of people are putting pressure on NFL players to take a knee and and hopefully make that their form of protest people should really be focusing on the advertisers who are ultimately funding the NFL. We always know that when you're working on organizing and activist tactics, you want to target the money. Because if the money goes away, the NFL and any other organization at the top is going to start wavering because they need that cash.
1: Mm-hmm. Cash cows.
0: So Jamel Hill said, rather than give so much pressure focus towards NFL players and whether they kneel or not, we should be looking at the advertisers to figure out what are they doing, how are they playing a role, and how can they make a political statement through how they advertise and whether or not they advertise with the NFL. Now, remember, that wasn't her saying, I'm going to boycott the NFL and you should join me. But apparently that was enough for ESPN to say, all right, you're out, two-week suspension, and now Jamel Hill is currently not working.
1: I think that this just speaks volumes about freedom of speech, what it actually means in the Trump administration and how Trump is just pressuring these individuals to silence the media. I think that it speaks a lot about what it means to remove the actual tactics of protest from the reason that we're protesting. And so, mm. again, maybe Jamel Hill speaking out about tactics of protest For her job, I don't know if it was inappropriate. I don't know what kind of clauses that she has signed in her contract. My issue is that that is what is being focused on as opposed to why she is targeting the protest, why she is targeting the fact that these men are kneeling over the systemic inequality and discrimination constantly pervading the black community. And so, again, I think that this is just another mechanic to shift the conversation in an unwarranted direction. And we need to stay on track, which is with why we're protesting and who's able to protest, which is everyone, and in what forms they're protesting, which are, I think, not contrary to respecting the United States and the national anthem.
0: And I think this has a larger narrative around the role that women have in sports, too, right?
1: Yeah, it does for sure. I mean, especially black women in sports. I mean because we just saw something happen whereas Cam Newton made a rather discriminatory comment towards women's knowledge of sports right right and a white on, woman yeah.
0: albeit and apparently she's also racist but that's neither here nor <laughs> there. I mean that's there. neither here nor
1: there. <laughs> that's in the petty it's no, there. It has me in the petty. <laughs> it's there <laughs> no but I mean I think that black women in sports in general because we don't see or hear a lot of them and their voices and so now we see what happens and one individual speaking out so that's just a very interesting dynamic there. So yeah, I mean, it's just showing black women inside and outside of sports, the lack of respect and dignity given. I mean, there was a young girl from Cypress, Texas who was expelled from high school from kneeling. She was expelled from high school. Right. Yeah, for her tactic of, I guess, protesting. I mean, they're not looking at why she's protesting, what she's protesting against. They're looking at her mechanism and saying that, OK, because this mechanism might not be the most politically correct, because these individuals lack certain political strategies, we're going to penalize that form instead of looking to the root of the issue, which is systemically entrenched in inequality.
0: And it's clear that this is an issue happening at the local level as well, beyond just the Cypress, Texas um, girl that has been expelled. Cypress um, Independent School District is actually one that's adjacent to my own a Independent mm. School District in Houston. So this is one that really hits close to home. But you also see images on Twitter and Instagram of cheerleaders at their local high schools taking a knee, football players taking a knee during the anthem, and the repercussions are already coming down on people this young. There's actually a college uh, football player who was removed from his team for kneeling during the national anthem. Mm -hmm. So it shows that the effects of, of this protest are going far beyond what the NFL expected, which is a good thing, but also means that we have to be defending and protecting these young people, whether they are black or not, whether they are black women or not, focusing on these issues trying to bring racial justice to the forefront in a very meaningful and productive way. Mm-hmm. Despite everyone saying that protesting in this way is a problem and you know disrespecting the flag, despite veterans already saying, yes, we're really cool with this and here, we're going to kneel right next to you. Um, it's clear that the issue with kneeling is that people are talking about racial justice and people don't want us to do that. They're mm-hmm. mad about that but they'll see it for kneeling.
1: I mean, I I like the comparison on Instagram that's floating around, you know, that if an individual is upset about an individual protesting during the anthem, it's the same as being upset about Rosa Parks protesting transportation Mm. as opposed to segregation in the transportation system. That's a good segue into the petty. Uh, yep. What does it mean for an individual to go to a game and be standing up next to an individual that's clearly dressed in military insignia and leave the game because of the protesting? Whatever Hi, Mike you Pence. Mean? <laughs> Whatever do you mean? <laughs> Hi, how are you? <laughs> okay, so apparently Mike Pence decided to go out and about and enjoy himself at the Indianapolis Colts versus San Francisco 49ers football game. He was dressed wonderfully in all of his football insignia. I mean, he was wearing a suit. <laughs> I think the, the, the suit, the three-piece suit had a pin on it. Um, I think that it was an American flag. Mm. I'm not sure. Don't quote That's me. That's the price. But <laughs> he went and he saw football players kneeling during the anthem and he dramatically left. The game
0: got back on his flight. <laughs> <to> <laughs> he give got him back a on private jet with his, you know, his
1: taxpayer dollars
0: two hundred fifty thousand of them. Two
1: hundred fifty thousand dollars. How much that round trip cost? You know, to and from the game, and he left because he felt disrespected by the kneeling. He also said that Trump asked him before he attended the game that if any player should kneel, that he should exit the game.
0: Like what kind of mess of it? Like what how kind can we of
1: mockery is this? First of all, it was played out. It wasn't cute. It was not cute because first of all, you didn't even look like you actually cared about what was going on. You showed up t- for that publicity set. You weren't you weren't buying beer and hot dogs, right. and so you weren't talking to people. You no. weren't ready to. You stay. weren't. Re- you weren't ready. That's what we're trying to say. You did not come correct. He came. He came so incorrect. This I feel like he gets petty of the day, donkey of the day.
0: <laughs> we're not doing donkey of the day. Do not get <laughs> no, well. Trouble. He gets Copyright. petty of
1: the year for this one. right <laughs> No, you can't take my Petty of the Year. You can have Petty of the Month.
0: (laughs) It's It's unfortunate, though, because it really shows you just how far the Trump administration is trying to go to contradict themselves, right? Because here Pence is protesting a protest. Yes. The first protest was one that they said shouldn't be done at all exactly. in, in football. Because they were critiquing the whole idea of you protesting at a football game in the first place, saying, oh, you're a professional, you shouldn't be using your platform to be protesting about these exactly. issues do it on your off time. Exactly. Yet Mike Pence is flying up and down these streets all across these states Literally, trying to do that. taking
1: private jets like his flat tummy tea. Confusing. And, and going to these football games. Oh, and someone's not using their professional platform to shed light on certain issues or non-issues within the administration. Let me just throw that out there.
0: Didn't we just talk about someone losing their job for taking too many flights and spending too much money?
1: Hello. Where's Tom Price? Tom and Betsy. Hello. <laughs>
0: Is Tom not giving you any good advice? I'm confused.
1: No, literally. Are you not speaking? Well, they're probably actually not speaking.
0: Probably. <laughs> to be honest.
1: No, but seriously, stop. And we're not paying for it.
0: Seriously. Hopefully, we can get people to reframe that and talk about the fact that Jamel Hill is without a job right now.
1: I'm suspended.
0: But Mike Pence actually gets to rack up all of these bills flying around
1: to go to football games, to for protest no them. For protesting, for
0: a stunt, for protesting, retweeting okay. it's
1: protest for protesting,
0: retweeting photo from 2014 thing that they were from today.
1: Like, Literally, who are you kidding? No, get out of here.
0: Twitter has archive. Why are you playing around? Archaic. Let's talk about infighting in the Trump administration because that's another thing that's that is so still. That's so funny. Well,
1: I feel like everyone's been fighting since Everyone. day one. Like, who's not getting fired at this point? Everyone who is not it. getting fired? Uh, apparently, Tillerson, Rex Tillerson, oh. are <laughs> are. The Secretary of State, yes, he apparently called Trump a moron after a very heated exchange at the Pentagon regarding national security,
0: probably the Iran nuclear deal. It's probably like, wait, are you are you are you serious? Trump?
1: Well, it was it was. I heard moron. that everyone in that meeting was so, and I'll use my word, shooketh <laughs> about Trump's lack of knowledge when it comes to the global stage, the global arena, and the implications that a lot of the American deals have on. Foreign policy. And so they said that he walked to that meeting with no knowledge. And he was like, at the end of the day, it's my attitude that matters. Mm. And so what he what they were talking about was Afghanistan. And what he proposed was that the U.S. general, the leader over in Afghanistan be fired. Because Mm. he was unimpressed with what was happening. And so we're going back to this celebrity apprentice just firing everyone (laughs) due to his unappreciation or dissatisfaction and the rest of everyone the rest of the administration is kind of saying okay well you know you can't do that these are creating slippery slope effects this is a snowball effect like you're doing things that are harming the entire administration do you and think trump
0: cares about this though like, well let's that's be that was
1: their plight that he doesn't care that he just right. or if he doesn't care he just doesn't understand what's going on it's
0: like i mean it's very clear that the only thing trump really cares about is his own ego because if you come at him He's going to retaliate on Twitter in ways that will make people shake their heads vigorously.
1: Exactly. I mean, and I think that everyone was just coming out of that Pentagon meeting exasperated because he attempted to go forward with plans and he then retaliates to Rex Tillerson's notion that he was a moron saying that tillerson needs to take an iq test and believe me he's gonna score believe higher me. Me. <laughs> i know
0: is, like are we actually going to talk about iq as if that is no, like, seriously like our... that's an
1: a- indication is
0: that the metric exactly. want to use like truly yeah. did you think mensa was like
1: actually you know what
0: Let's do it. Like you know, we'll host it. You know, like let's have his IQ on the record. If
1: you're going to release your IQ test, then release your taxes, sweetheart. You know, just do, yeah, how do that? <laughs> yeah, how about do that? that first. How about we release all documents since you're you offered, you offered release the taxes, actually, the IQ test, and also release oh. the uh, real reasons why you declined to enlist in the military when it was your turn. Word, actually, the what tea. if we
0: actually thought his IQ test though? Like, what if it actually was just like <laughs> terrible? I feel like he'd, like, destroy Mensa. Like, he would put out an executive order, like, you know what? Mensa's disbanded. No, they're trash. All the people there. I'm smarter than all of them. Seriously,
1: no. Oh, my goodness. He would do something
0: wild like that. And Mensa would be like, all right, all right. Everyone
1: would just continue to get fired, (laughs) except all the people that should be fired. Truly. That's all that's happening. They'll
0: be on their way out soon. Really? You
1: think so? Can Betsy DeVos go first? Because... I'm, I've been waiting. I've been I'm with literally I've been breath. literally holding my breath and looking up CNN every time. Like this first thing Glory. I do when I wake up in the morning to like see who's getting fired today. And like praying it's Betsy. Let's
0: talk about other people that hate Trump. Eminem.
1: Eminem. Have you got
0: to hear the rap verse?
1: Okay, I did hear it, but let me just preface this with saying that you do not want to be. On the other end of rap beef with Eminem. True. I mean, his baby mama for one. We know what happens with that. Oh Mariah my God. Carey for two, and anyone else. I mean, have you not seen Eight Mile? And you know this guy. Just why are you guys playing with him, Trump? Do not play with Eminem. Okay. Tell Eminem us what puts happened.
0: out this like rap cipher at the BET Awards. Very long winded. I think about a four minute video of him just roasting Trump. <laughs> talking about all of the like random things that he's done. It was really funny. He did at one point like a hillbilly voice and tried to like talk about like maybe a Trump supporter and like things that he would care about. And it was mm-hmm. very, it was really funny coming from like a like a, a southern perspective. Because it's like, yeah, he's going, he's going build that wall it was up. It's a wall. <laughs> well, I was, it was so funny to me. Because yeah,
1: really I know funny. there, I
0: I feel like I know there are people out there that feel that exact way. That are yeah. like, absolutely, we. Are ready for like Donald Trump to come with this big wall and mm-hmm. like lock the folks out Oh my they God. won't be able to come in and take our jobs they're not germs
1: uh-huh. I'm th-
0: South Park. and I'm then Eminem sure saying
1: that. that okay if you build a wall then I'm gonna throw you against it like I hope it's brick oh, it you. was a lot it was a lot it was really aggressive it was very passionate to me it was more like a spoken word mm. than a cypher yeah it was very yeah. fluid and I love the emphasis on emotion I'm over here critiquing this a rap cypher <laughs> I'm like no <laughs> Yes, Eminem, you go. I love it. I love one all thing, of it.
0: One thing that I feel about this, though, is like, look, Eminem, you did great. You know, you came out of the woodwork to talk about this. So you and came you came out were of very the clear. woodwork.
1: Where was he before that? Great kid? question.
0: I wonder. <laughs> so he came out and said all of this, right? I'll give you a participation award because...
1: You did get think, a participation award. I think
0: that the standard we have for for statements now is really low, especially for, like, white folks. Mm -hmm. Like, if you say anything that is at the very least close to being correct, we're like, yes, you did it! Yes, Yes, we love you! Exactly. Like, Eminem getting all this, like, this praise, despite the fact that people have done way more, have made way stronger comments, have been way more, you know, focused on these issues. And so I'm actually really excited to see Eminem do more and and hopefully put all of this to work, you know, to do stuff like Colin Kaepernick when he says, you know, we're, you know, I put a fist up and I'm with you, Colin Kaepernick. Let's see you do some work in the community because I think that would be really, really dope, you know?
1: Yeah. So it's, it's, I think it kind of parallels the critique about white individuals when they acknowledge that they have privilege over minorities, however, they don't care to reject that privilege in ways that would actually help minority communities. Right. So. We're looking forward to seeing you reject your privilege, (laughs) Eminem. For real. No, we are. Pass me a buck. Me too.
0: Yeah, sick tan. That's why he wants us to disband, cause he cannot withstand the fact we're not afraid of Trump. Walking on eggshells, I came to stomp. That's why he keeps screaming, drain the swamp, cause he's in quicksand. It's like we take a step forwards, then backwards. But this is his form of distraction. Plus, he gets an enormous reaction when he attacks the NFL, so we focus on that, and instead of talking Puerto Rico with gun reform for Nevada, all these horrible tragedies and these borders would rather cause a Twitter storm with the Packers. All right, we're going to talk about this Dove ad. Um, Yikes. It's interesting. It's a really interesting ad. Do you want to talk a little bit about what ad, what that did?
1: Sure. Okay, so the ad started out with a, I guess, a duff bottle, and it's showing how clean it will make you. Mm. And then each woman, she strips off herself. And I think it can be seen so many ways. So it starts with a, I think, a dark-skinned black woman Mm -hmm. stripping off herself, and then in the middle, there's a, apparently, by the phenotypical appearance, I don't know, but a Middle Eastern maybe has been a woman, a brown brown, brown brown woman, yes. Uh, stripping off her skin and then we get into a white woman Mm. and she's like the last one right and so some people read this as showing that the white skin was the clean one Uh. and the brown skin was dirty and you're stripping yourself off and that's how to become clean using dove right which is understandable i think that it was a horrible marketing tool i think that it was very culturally insensitive however i don't necessarily know if that was the intention behind this so i'm not sure if this was covert insensitivity and racial discrimination as opposed to just being stupid
0: right just ignorant like was it deliberately so i think that the distinction between the two is a very thin one right Mm -hmm. um the the actor this black woman who you know went and did this ad actually came out and responded to the dove ad um this model's name was lola ongunyemi And, you know, she talks about from the very beginning the fact that, you know, as a Nigerian woman, she's born in London, raised in Atlanta. She cared about these issues of racial justice and didn't know that her portrayal was going to be used in such a way to make it seem as if she is unclean or because she has dark skin, she is a before picture as opposed to an after picture.
1: I'm... Less worried about her opinion about the media and her saying that, oh, I wouldn't have done it if I would have known that I would have gotten this adverse media reaction as opposed to her opinion about the actual ad. What did she think? Does she think that this was adverse to her community? Does she think that this was discriminatory and that it denoted to black women being unclean? I wonder what she thinks on the actual ideologies behind this commercial, which is what everyone's attacking as opposed to her being upset about the media reaction.
0: So she actually says she doesn't think it's racist.
1: Okay, great great that I mean she said something
0: <laughs> so it's kind of tricky right despite the fact already that Dove has apologized for the clip and they said it quote unquote missed the mark in representing women of color thoughtfully it's like, uh, like missed the mark like could we feel? a bit? <laughs>
1: It just missed the mark. Like what?
0: Like, were well, that, you on that's the That's kind buy? of were what I the... felt.
1: I felt that it missed the mark. But then, I mean, you even brought up to me, maybe this specific ad wasn't covertly racist. Right. But also, there have been other instances in which Dove's marketing has been kind of shady towards black people. Exactly. Which is, you know, we have this new picture floating around the internet where it shows the skin types for clean. And it's like and I think it was actually for the tanning and it says from normal skin to dark skin and everyone's like, okay, well can you please explain See, what me?
0: normal skin, Normal.
1: What is normal? Same and, thing with like nude. But I mean, yeah, but the thing is, I think that like from, saying from normal to dark, I, doesn't that allude to dark being abnormal? I mean, that, is
0: that an illusion? I mean, I feel like it's no, very I think clear, it is. right? Oh yeah, or, yeah it,
1: it might even be very clear. And so how did, how have we been missing in this? is, what is behind Dove's marketing strategies? And are they intentionally creating this type of cultural divisiveness? And if so, how do we effectively boycott Dove?
0: I think it's a really important question, right? Mm-hmm. I'll be the first one to say I, I use, I've used Dove products. <laughs> admit it. Admit it. There's a Dove product it. currently <laughs> in my shower. Oh, no. Um, it's been used this morning. I'm currently waiting to, to run it out and then move on to something else, you know?
1: Avino, but uh, we need to... <laughs> I you saw business. how I, I slipped that in there. Was like, I mean, No, quick. no, real, no really, it helps with the exam and all that, guys. Hey, but no, but again, we need to think of ways to effectively combat this type of discrimination when it comes to the marketing of not only products, but companies, full-blown companies. We're not going to effectively combat them unless we put our money into companies that go against explicitly go against the subjugation of minority groups exactly and so for example remember we had that issue with shea moister mm-hmm. and we said okay we're going to stop buying their products because clearly they're not advertising or targeting the communities that buy their products the most right and so what happens is we're stop putting our money in these black-owned businesses. And if we go and take that same money and put it in, you know, we start buying different hair products and they're, you know, by white owned, then we're actually perpetuating the cycle of systemic injustice and also economic inequality. And so I think mm. that we take this money if we truly want to boycott and put it into black owned companies, other black owned companies, maybe not Shea Moisture, maybe that didn't work for you, mm-hmm. you know, but other ones. And so Dove, like, what's the alternative to using Dove? Like, how can we use this in order to combat economic inequality?
0: Absolutely. I mean, people have been bringing up a lot of different, different ideas, right? Because Dove is the type of company where if they lost all of their black consumer base, there's still a question of whether or not they'd be able to survive. And I feel like they'd I be like, like they whatever, will. like it's all good. Like, all right, goodbye. You know Yeah, exactly.
1: I feel like they will. But I mean again it would probably make a dent on their consumerism, their right. products and such. And just like if we went like Jamel said and boycott certain products, you know, because the NFL boycotting the responses have been so split, and we don't know if everyone would do it. But even if the black people only did it, it might not make such a huge. I mean, it might. It, it's not going to create the cancellation of these products. However, it will make a dent, and that's how we become more impactful. We target capitalism. We target economic inequality. We target the people at the top.
0: And ultimately, the question is. Is Dove going to do anything different? Are they going to do something beyond simply? Stop being apologizing? shady.
1: Yes. Right? Stop like, being don't petty. Say, oh, our we don't want to see this is not the type of petty that we root for.
0: Right. Like at this point, you can do a little bit more than say, oh my bad. You know, like you could donate some money, you can put your money where your mouth is in a lot of meaningful ways that I'm sure they probably won't. Because they are again okay with losing out on some of their consumer base, if they will at all. Because mm-hmm. I've definitely have friends on my Facebook that are like, you know, it's all good. Like, it's not worth such a boycott. You know, some people actually don't even feel like it warrants any like I ha- of racism exactly. at Exactly, right?
1: exactly. I have African American friends on my feed. They're saying this isn't even bad. You know, it's kind of like racial paranoia, whereas everyone's trying to boycott something basically, hmm. which I understand. If you're looking at it non-holistically to say, okay, this ad wasn't so bad. But again, remember to contextualize, Dove has been disseminating these weird articles that are kind of shady towards brown and black people. So we have to address that.
0: All right, y'all, this has been another episode of Petty Politics. Thanks so much for listening. Like we said, at the jump like comment
1: subscribe like comment subscribe and Add share husband wife kids grandma All uncle of them. cousin
0: your mom and
1: your mom and pookie everybody needs this
0: also take a look at our social media
1: take a look at our social media you can find us on twitter at harvard bolsa that's at h-a-r-v-a-r-d b-l-s-a
0: and tweet at us with ideas for things you want us to talk about. People you might want to have come on the show. Mm-hmm. We have some ideas that we're already working on in the background, mm-hmm. and stay tuned for those. Stay tuned. Because we want to make sure that we can provide you as much entertainment, as much news, and analysis as we can.
1: I mean, it only gets better from here. Truly. <laughs> Honestly, truly. <Trilly>. Truly. Joanne.
0: <laughs> Take it easy, y'all. Bye. Bye.